Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Well, the focus now is commercial activity. You can tell the health of any community, large town, small town, by its commercial activity. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each and every week across North and South Carolina. In a moment, we start with the commercial activity measurement with our guests, and later on, joining us again, he is the South Carolina leader, the majority leader of the Senate, Shane Massey joins us, and we hope you'll stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Christopher Chung from the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, Jody Bryson from the South Carolina Technology and Aviation Center, and special guest, Shane Massey, South Carolina State Senator. Happy spring. Welcome to our program. Chris, nice to see you. Jody, welcome to the dialogue. Uh, uh, Mr. Chung, let, let me start with you. Uh, you know, it's easy to gauge the health of a, of a small town or a big city by looking at commercial activity. And commercial activity is obviously uh, has, has been a, a front and center when it comes to this public health crisis. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, would you say that commercial activity is a 10, a five, a one? Where do you think we are now? Well, first off, Chris, it's great to be with you. I, I hope you've been staying safe over the past uh, 13, 14 months or so since we last uh, were in the studio together. Uh, hopefully you've at least got one, maybe two of your vaccine shots. Uh, I would say the number varies a lot depending on what sector we're talking about. As you know, our organization is responsible for, among other things, recruiting companies to North Carolina and helping existing firms to expand. That activity has been far, far stronger than anyone would have predicted when you go back to March of 2020 at the onset of this pandemic, right? I mean, I think all of us in economic development were just wondering when the bottom might fall out. We were seeing deals get canceled. We were seeing very few new projects coming in through the door. And it was like that for a couple months. And then starting in about June, it's been, uh, it's been gangbusters ever since that point. Lots of great announcements, lots of projects we have the chance to compete for. On the other side, of course, we are so responsible for tourism promotion for North Carolina. And as you have covered a lot, Chris, you know that the tourism, leisure, hospitality sectors, a lot of those small businesses who make up our big tourism economy, they've really felt the brunt of the economic damage from the pandemic. Now, things are getting better. And of course, the leisure travel is doing a lot better than business travel. But really, it's, it's hard to generalize a number because it really varies so much depending on what sector that you're talking about. Jody, would you say gangbusters? Is that a good way to describe commercial activities you see it? I would. Um, just very similar to what Chris has, has um, explained, 
we saw a lull um, last March for a few weeks, and then unexpectedly project activity started to um, increase and grow again. And I would say 2021 is off to a, a roaring start. So we're very encouraged by that. You know, one of the thing, one of the themes that continually comes up, and, it, and and quite frankly, and I know you both know this, it was an issue before uh, we even had heard the term COVID nineteen or public health crisis, and this idea of finding workers for the jobs that are available, that seems to have been a two or three x exacerbation since all of this happened. So, what is the what's the working model going to be? How do we how do we get through this this problem of finding enough workers, especially when people now seem to be unmotivated because of federal unemployment benefits? What's what's the answer, Chris? Where do where do we start? Well, you're right that it's a big challenge. You would think uh, unemployment being, at least here in North Carolina, a couple percent above where we were before we entered into the pandemic, you would think that that would have relieved a lot of the pressure that manufacturers and other employers were facing in attracting skilled, qualified workers. Uh, the reality, as you just pointed out, is across pretty much any industry, manufacturing and otherwise, it's still not as easy as we want it to be for companies. Uh, to recruit skilled talent. And that's in a state like North Carolina that continues to grow because of in-migration of people moving here. So I can only imagine what it's like in other states, maybe in the, the middle part of the country where you're not seeing that kind of population growth. Um, I, I think there's two things, right? Like you said, there's been some financial incentive through unemployment payments for perhaps some of the workforce to stay at home, but there's also been a very real human concern about exposing oneself and one's family uh, to this coronavirus by going back to work. And that's also kept a lot of people on the sidelines. Now, hopefully, as a country, we're making progress on the public health aspect. Uh, but that may take a while for people to feel comfortable getting back into the workforce. I think schools reopening, that's been a big part of what's liberated some of the workforce to feel like they can re-enter. Uh, go back to work, uh, but it's not an easy situation. And I think as the economy continues to accelerate in its recovery, all it's going to do is exacerbate this challenge that so many companies are having in finding, hiring, and retaining the types of workers that they need to be successful. It, it's a real challenge for sure, and I, I don't think it's unique to North Carolina. Jody, would you describe it as a desperate situation, trying to find these workers? I don't think it's at the desperation point in South Carolina. Um, you know, workforce has been a challenge in the Southeast for a number of years. And I know North Carolina, South Carolina have worked hard to um, come up with creative solutions, customized training programs to support, you know, the new businesses and industries that are coming in. Um, and I will continue to do that. And so I think, um, yes, it's a concern. Um, yes, companies are, um, you know, we're scrambling in some cases and across certain industry sectors, but um, I'm, I'm very optimistic. And I, I think that, you know, the creative solutions that South Carolina has employed um, in the past will continue to be used in the future. And I think, I think we'll be all right. And again, a lot of population is moving to the Southeast as a result of the pandemic. Um, and the housing markets are exploding um, from, a, from a selling perspective. And so we've got, we do have new workers moving into our states and our areas and communities. And um, I think that's gonna help as well. Jody, specifically, let me stay with you for a second in the South Carolina Technology and Aviation Center in the upstate of which 
you, you know a little bit about. Um, the, this idea, do, do you feel like the Palmetto State has learned a valuable lesson? Not that this was not a concern before, but is there, is there a, a new strategy now that South Carolina had done so well developing automotive and aerospace that was also the Achilles heel in when cars and planes ran into the issue that they ran into those last 12 months, it, it, it exposed the underbelly of, a, of, of having too much concentration in two industries. Is, is, is South Carolina supplanting that high concentration with a, with a different portfolio? Well, I, I think we will continue to support aviation and automotive. Those are the two largest industry sectors in the state. Um, but I don't think that has, has been supported to the detriment of, of the other um, industry sectors. Um, life sciences, for example, has been on a roll um, in South Carolina, especially in the Charleston area, um, as well as the upstate. And of course, we have many, many types of, of advanced manufacturing across the state. Um, and those companies have been, um, have been growing and expanding. And then distribution logistics has also been a very high growth area for us. So, you know, I think that um, you'll continue to see all of those sectors do well as we come out of this pandemic. Um, and so I'm not too concerned that, um, that those are, that automotive and aerospace are top sectors for us, because I do think there are a lot of sectors um, right behind those that continue to grow and, and succeed as well. Our guest is not a freshman to South Carolina politics, certainly not to senior leadership. He is the chairman of the South Carolina Senate Rules Committee. He's also the majority leader of the South Carolina Senate. We welcome now the South Carolina State Senator from District 25. Those are Western South Carolina counties. The Honorable Shane Massey. Senator, welcome to the dialogue. Nice to see you, sir. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Um, let, let me outline a couple things here just briefly. You had a 30-member caucus in the South Carolina Senate. The South Carolina budget now is probably not overstating it to say it's flush with cash, billions, in fact. So you have a, a, a probably a, a pretty exciting agenda ahead of you. What are your one or two top priorities, sir? Yeah, you know, South Carolina's been very fortunate. I mean, we, were, we were doing very, very well heading into COVID. Uh, we took some hits over the year economically. Um, different parts of the state, different economic sectors took some significant hits, and we're still recovering from that. But, but, but we were in a good enough position that we didn't have to cut anything in our budget over the year. Uh, we didn't have to borrow money to pay unemployment claims. So we were in a really good spot. And recently, what we've learned, as you mentioned, our, our economy has been performing very well with people working and people spending money. And so it does appear that we're going to have a significant amount of money for the next, uh, the next fiscal year. And, so, and we're going to, on the Senate side, we're going to take up the budget um, uh, next week, and um, we'll get into that conversation. Are you encouraged that you'll be able to find a consensus to spend that money, what, what is thought to be responsibly? Yeah, I think we'll get a consensus. Uh, there's going to be obviously a good bit of conversation about that, and there's going to be a lot of different ideas. And you know, you mentioned that we have 30 Republicans now out of 46. Uh, that's a that's a big number, and that that really 
frankly, it changed the governing philosophy of the body mm -hmm. uh, from where we were before. So there, there are going to be some real conversations about that. I don't think we're going to do the budget as we've always done it. Things are going to be different now. Um, and um, but, but I think I think we'll, we'll work together. We'll figure out a way to to make that work and to do it responsibly. I mean, we have some needs. We have some infrastructure needs. We have capital project needs. Um, a lot of things that have been neglected for many years. Uh, of course, we've got a big issue with broadband, broadband across the state, everyone having access. I think there are a number of things that we're going to look at. We're going to open this up. Chris, Jody, please. Uh, so, Senator Massey, I'll start. Uh, obviously, Georgia is the latest example of this, but you know, there's been increasing occasions in, in this country where uh, legislation and policy sometimes run against what the business community is looking for, demands. I, I'm just curious, how do you, as a legislative leader in South Carolina, how do you, how do you navigate that uh, increasing challenge and, and kind of keep everybody in line, but also send the right signals to businesses that are looking at the right places to grow and invest? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question, and you're right. It is a, a regular challenge. Um, so, you know, what I try to do is I'll listen to you. I'll listen to anybody, um, and I've been a very pro-business legislator. I think my record supports that, uh, and I've supported those things that that has allowed a lot of businesses to come to South Carolina. Has encouraged a lot of businesses to come to South Carolina. We've done very well um, with the business climate that we have created over the years. Um, that's got us in the position that we're in now. That's allowed for the economic position that we're in now. But sometimes you do have that conflict. And I think it's, you know, it's important for us to remember, even though we may be dealing with businesses or their lobbyists on a regular basis, the people from back home who sent us to Columbia to represent them, they may think along the same lines. They may be different too. So I think it's important that we listen and we have very open and candid conversations with, with business folks. Um, I think, look, man, 90% of the time, I'm going to be on the team. Uh, but if there are times when I think that the business interest is contrary to those who sent me to Columbia to represent them, I'm going to go with the folks back home. Joey. Thank you, Senator. It's good to, um, good to be with you today. Um, as you probably know, um, the South Carolina Technology and Aviation Center is now um, um, a, an F-16 Global Center of Excellence as a result of Lockheed Martin not only producing the world's most sophisticated F-16 aircrafts, but also now um, having a long-term contract to do maintenance, repair, and overhaul work. Um, we also are very involved in supporting the state's automotive industry. Um, a few years ago, we redeveloped um, a closed runway property into an automotive test track. And um, today we have a, a number of customers who are utilizing that track on a regular basis, even including um, uh, some from our uh, friends in North Carolina. Um, you mentioned the economy was on a roll before, um, before the pandemic hit, and it seems to be coming back strongly, but I just was curious um, in your role, are you seeing any particular initiatives that will um, come through the, the legislature that would continue to support not only aerospace and automotive, but um, advanced manufacturing, which is so important to our state. Yeah, Jody, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, like, I just, I just think it's really cool that we're building fighter jets in Greenville, South Carolina. I just think that's awesome. And, and it, it's one of those things where, uh, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important that we expose our students to those opportunities, that they know those things are going on because there are a lot of kids 
kids who don't know that's happening, mm-hmm. um, especially kids from rural South Carolina who don't know that those career opportunities exist. And so I'm glad we're able to talk about it on this program. Uh, we need to do a better job of getting that word out to South Carolina's children so that they know that those opportunities are there. And plus, again, I mean, I'm a kid at heart anyway, but I think they're just going to think it's cool that we're building yeah. fighter jets in, in South Carolina. Those those things are awesome. I'll tell you t- two things um, real quick in response to that question, though, Jody. Uh, one of them is one of the things that we heard a lot from businesses, small, large, and even nonprofits, was some desire to have protection from COVID, lo- from lawsuits, from COVID exposures. Uh, and so we took a very strong stance, and we were candidly we were we're behind North Carolina on this one that they moved more aggressively, more quickly. But what we've tried to do is say, look, here are the rules. We're going to tell you what the rules are. As long as you comply with the rules, if somebody happens to get sick anyway, we're not going to allow you to be sued because of that. But I think that's important for businesses to be able to bring back their workforce in person, for customers to come into the different businesses. That's one thing. The second thing is, Jody, as you know, one of, one of South Carolina's big assets is the Port of Charleston. Uh, and the port has allowed us to become the major manufacturing powerhouse that that we are. Without that port, we would not have been nearly as successful in recruiting that industry to South Carolina. Uh, What we have learned, however, is that we have become a little bit uncompetitive, that some other states, Savannah is a good example, but some other ports along the Atlantic coast have been investing more in their system, and we've gotten a little bit behind. So we need to make some more investments, and one of those is the one that we made had the most conversation about most recently is ensuring that we get near dock rail access. We get the rail lines up close to the dock, which would take a lot of trucks off the road, but it would also make the whole process work more efficiently and and really strengthen our port. I think that's going to be a big benefit to to manufacturing in South Carolina. Your Honor, let me me follow up with that because these are two important things. You talk about the ports and some of your some of your colleagues in leadership and political leadership would like the ports to have a different structure that they don't want it to be an agency and speaking of that how would you what scenario could you see that would allow or will santee cooper can santee cooper could it continue to go on as a public utility for the low country and the grand strand do you see that as a possibility not in its current format uh i think the way that it is now is is an is a model that has proven that it's not going to work mm-hmm. uh, and i know santee cooper has been trying very hard to fix some of the problems and they've been successful to some degree um, i'm concerned however that really what they've done is they've provided a three to five year band-aid and that after about five five years or so we're going to get into more problems at santee cooper unless we make some more significant reforms santee cooper has operated almost as completely without any outside oversight. There's been no regulatory influence and, and and there are reasons for that. But I think the time has changed and the experiences that we've had to get us to this point lead us to believe that if Santee Cooper is gonna remain a state agency, there's gonna to have to be more oversight of that entire process. There are gonna to have to be changes with the board. There's going to be changes in management. Um, just a, a real cultural change has to happen at Santee Cooper. Now, Chris, to your point too, there's going to be a lot of interest in selling Santee Cooper. Um, that initially came about because of the debt they they incurred uh, related to VC Summer, the failed nuclear plant. Um, 
but but there are other issues at Santee Cooper beyond just VC summer. In fact, I've told people lots of times, VC summer gave us the reason to look under the hood. And when we looked under the hood, we didn't like what we saw. Yeah. So I think there's going to be significant changes made at Santee Cooper. Chris. So uh, I'm going to ask a question more about like, how do you prioritize your budget around economic development? I'm going to try to pose it in a way that I usually ask your counterparts here in North Carolina. So if you had a dollar to spend on economic development, for North Carolina, and you could only spend it on workforce and education, infrastructure, taxes and incentives, or marketing, how would you split that dollar up among those four priorities? Again, workforce and education, infrastructure, uh, marketing, and taxes and incentives. Man, you're asking hard questions. Uh, Just trying to understand what our competitors are doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know that I want to reveal all that. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, look, well, in, in South Carolina, um, of that dollar, currently, 50 cents of it's going to education right now. Uh, I think we need to do a better job in how we spend that 50 cents. First of all, I'm okay with that 50, 50 cents going there. So that answers part of your question. But I think we need to do a better job of how we're allocating that uh, um, and making sure that we're getting a real bang for the buck. And part of that feeds into the workforce part of, of your question as well, because we have to make sure that our children are exposed to the opportunities that are available today and that will be available in the future. So I think we need to invest in making sure that business and, and government coordinate better and, uh, and communicate so that, I mean, look, business knows what their workforce needs are. They know what their workforce needs are gonna be in the next several years. What we've got to do is communicate better so that we offer the technical college programs or the four-year programs, or even just the programs in our high schools to allow people, children, students to compete for those positions. So I would put some, definitely put some of that money in, into workforce in addition to education. They're going to be, part of that dollar is going to have to go to, to incentives. I wish that were not the case. Unfortunately, that's just the world we live in. A number of our folks in the legislature say we shouldn't have to bribe people to come to paradise. Uh, and, and I do think that South Carolina offers a lot of great things that attract people um, to come here regardless. But look, man, and y'all in North Carolina, you, you're pretty cutthroat, man. I mean, the, the, the competition is tough, but it's also with Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Alabama, Virginia, everybody around us is a very competitive business. And so we have to recognize that and we, we're going to have to continue to contribute to that in order to, uh, to, to, to lure these businesses. Because I will tell you this, one concern, and then we, then we can move on from this. I am concerned that while we've set a very good foundation 10 or 15 years ago that has led us to the situation that we're in now, I'm concerned that North Carolina has been up in their game and we haven't gotten as aggressive and that we've been a little bit comfortable. So we've got we've to really up our game and get more aggressive to stay competitive because we don't want to get past. Jody, we have about two minutes. Um, Senator, I guess for the first time in our state's history, we do not have a Lieutenant Governor um, presiding in the Senate. And um, in fact, they, the Lieutenant Governor and the Governor run on a, ran on a ticket this past election. Um, this far in, how would, you, how would you gauge that transition? Are you pleased with how that has worked out and would love some insight from you on, on where you see it today. Yeah, um, so I think it's working very well. Uh, uh, so, you know, the only, the only real concern about this going in was that the Lieutenant Governor would vote in the case there was a tie. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you've got a tie, the vote's gonna fail. 
because the president of the Senate now, the, um, it, who presides over the body, is a senator, uh, Senator Harvey Peeler from Gaffney. Senator Peeler does a very good job of making the trains move on time. Uh, he keeps things in order. Uh, so I think from that perspective, it's worked very well. We have had, I think, since this happened, since the lieutenant governor uh, was moved out of the Senate, we've had maybe two or three tie votes, and those votes have failed. But otherwise, I really think it's worked well, Jody. Uh, we have two minutes left, Senator, and I want to uh, bring up the point about a longtime political icon, uh, certainly you know well. Uh, Senator Hugh Leatherman turned 90 recently and, and also uh, has returned some campaign money for what was going to be probably 2024 campaign finance. Um, so what does that say? And what is a South Carolina Senate look like post Hugh Leatherman? Well, uh, so Senator Leatherman turned 90 on April 14th. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, I hope that I am in his condition when I am 90, if I make it to, to that far. He, he, is, he is sharp. Um, he is active. And as you know, Chris, I mean, Senator Leatherman and I have not always agreed. We've sparred on a number of things, but you got to respect the guy. Uh, and I read the report about, uh, about him returning campaign contributions. I don't know that that's accurate. Um, just from what I've heard from, from some, of the, some of the people close to him, I don't know that that's actually happened. Um, but I know he has been engaged this year. He, he has been, he was sick some earlier. Um, but he's, he's been engaged and he's been a very major influence in the Senate and the state as a whole. Uh, so I, I don't know that, that, that I'm, I'm really ready to start talking about what the Senate looks like after him, because I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, and literally, we're almost out of time. You've been now uh, uh, in political leadership for 18 or so years. And would, uh, would the governor's office ever uh, have a poll for you? Would you run for governor? It, uh, so I've been I've been in the leadership position for for almost five years now. Um, look, I, I'm interested in, in in ideas and and I'm interested in trying to solve some of the problems that are that are out there. South Carolina is a great place. We've got a lot of tremendous things going for us, but we have challenges. And so, if I thought there was a way to address those challenges in that position, I'd look at it. Okay, uh, uh, Senator, thank you for taking time. Thanks for your leadership, Jody. Nice to see you, Chris. Thanks. Always nice to see you. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Hope your business and your weekend is good. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.